Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Office Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Tech People. As always, I'm your host, Ken Coyne speaking. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Alex Parmer-Yee, who is the UK strategy lead at Arwin and author of the article, Embracing the LGBTQIA Plus Online Community as part of your advertising strategy, where they talk about companies losing out to the LGBTQIA community and also the disappearance of several LGBTQIA Plus online content outlets as a result. Now, to put this in context, research commissioned by Gay Times in partnership with Camera Marama and YouGov reported that only 36% of young people aged between 18 and 24 identify as exclusively straight. In the next age bracket of 25 to 34 year olds, only half of adults identify as completely heterosexual. So why are companies not embracing this community? And how can they address this sphere of digital strategy? Let's bring Alex in to help answer these questions. Welcome to the show, Alex. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. No, thank you. And I really enjoyed reading your article. Very interesting and some incredible facts, which we'll get into in a moment. But before we get into that, can you please maybe just tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so my name is Alex. So as you mentioned, I'm the strategy lead for AWIN in the UK, who a partner management platform. I've been with the company for about nine years now, and as well as obviously overseeing the strategic direction of the UK business. I've done various other roles at the company, but um, obviously maybe a little bit relevant to you today. I'm also a member of um, our uh, LGBTQIA plus sort of network and also participate in a number of other industry-wide DNI initiatives. Yeah, okay, great. So, yeah, so what made you write the article? It's a mix of things, actually. I think, you know, when you work in, in a job, obviously, it's, it's always really good when something intersects with something that you're, you're really interested in. So I identify as non-binary myself, so I um, would sort of consider myself as part of the LGBTQIA plus community. But I also, I guess, work in online advertising. And, and one of the things that I was seeing both in my personal sphere as well as my professional sphere was that creators obviously were struggling to monetize and advertisers obviously were wanting to go and reach this community. So I sort of felt a bit sort of impassioned to write some content sort of talking about what it means to support the community using the sort of framing of online advertising. Oh, okay, cool. And I mean, you mentioned there about the challenges of not only content writers, but also companies embracing this community. Could you maybe just give us some more information on that? Yeah, definitely. So I think, yeah, as you mentioned, there are sort of two different cha- sort of challenges there. And so if I, if I start with like sort of what companies are facing, so you mentioned obviously the stats around how I think as society, we've become more accepting and, and open. And so you are starting to see more people sort of openly identifying as, as, as their true selves in terms of sexual orientation and gender. And so, you know, companies are there to, to obviously serve their consumer base, which will include many people within that community. 
And many companies, I guess, you know, with the expectation to be inclusive, I believe Adobe did a study a couple of years back saying that actually 62% of consumers felt that brands should be inclusive. So these companies, I guess, have taken, you know, the opinions of their consumers, but also, I guess, business desire to go and be serving the market effectively and, and are, you know, want to reach customers here and, you know, engage and support the community. However, I think what companies sometimes struggle with is, you know, the efforts they do can just come across as ungenuine. You know, they're often focused around pride or, you know, it's they're having to do sort of charitable donations and political statements, which don't always make sense to them. So, so that's the problem that I think companies face. And then on sort of the part two of it, you, you look at those who create content online. So those sort of media outlets, as well as, you know, individual creators and influencers. And these sort of content creators, they're struggling because I guess with the breadth of the internet, it's meant that platforms and advertisers can make quite sweeping choices in, in terms of how they manage their digital strategies. And so, you know, some of the most common advertising choices, you know, automated bidding platforms like programmatic rely on algorithms. And these algorithms include things about brand safety, which is a really important topic for a brand when advertising anywhere. But these brand safety lists often include words such as gay, lesbian, or transgender as unsafe words. And naturally, that's going to cause, cause a bit of a problem for these content creators. And, and as such, you know, you alluded to earlier, we're seeing many publications disappear. So in 2019, one such news publication, Gay Star News, had to sort of close down. We saw web uh, sort of services like Grindr reduce the spend in editorial content. And yeah, and, and I think that's that's obviously affecting, you know, the big media houses, but then yeah. for individual creators, they're failing to monetize. And as a result, you know, it's not worth their time to go and, you know, invest in content. So as a result, yeah, we we just see that diminishing level of, you know, community online for for people within the, the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, it's incredible because you know, from what you're saying, there are both sides. And what I mean, the community obviously is missing out, but also the companies are missing a huge community. But just can I go back to that point on brand safety, just to clarify, you know, what do you mean by when you say, you know, brand safety is it being, being associated with specific words or, you know, could you yeah. just describe that a bit further to me? Oh, yeah, no, of course. So I guess if you're a brand and you use one of these automated bidding platforms, you'll be familiar that, I guess, to manage these, you, it's a case that you define inputs within the platform. So you you put how much you want to spend, okay. and you'll also put you know maybe some information about what audiences your content's relevant for. Now, right. when you're putting you know the content relevance, there's also you know the ability to go and say I don't want my brand or an advert for my brand to appear alongside content which you know could be deemed as harmful. So so a lot of time that's you know adult content or or content relating to violence. And the easiest way, I guess, of doing this is to put an exclusion list or a safe list uh, together, sorry, or, or a blacklist, I think. And, you know, words such as gay or lesbian or even transgender sort of related terms, they're used obviously in the context of news often, but they also can be used on adult websites. And I think yeah. the easy option is, you know, you put these words there, you probably prevent yourself appearing on against some adult content but you're potentially also blocking the ability for, you know, other contents talking about advice or news or just, you know, empowerment content, you know, you're not appearing there. I think actually, um, so there's a company called Czech who sort of 
look at things like brand safety online. And, and I think they found that actually 73% of LGBT plus news sites that they looked at were actually flagged in, within real-time bidding uh, safe lists. So, wow. you know, it's, it's a staggering number, really. And you can see why brands do it, but I think they're obviously taking such a sweeping approach can be really harmful. Yeah, I agree. But so, okay, well, it's a good point. But so how can we address that? I mean, is there a solution out there for this? Yeah, so I think, you know, things like real-time bidding and programmatic, I'm, they're valid sources of traffic and they're valid sources of sales. But I think brands that, you know, want to make meaningful connections with this community have to, to sort of maybe take a little few, a few steps back from, you know, just relying purely on automated solutions. And I, I work for a, a company that, that does partnerships. So I'm actually going to talk about this. But, you know, I think partnerships, like partnership marketing is really, really important. So for those who are unfamiliar, partnership marketing is, includes things like affiliate marketing, but it sort of tech partnerships and influencer. But essentially, it's where a brand makes a more concerted effort to sort of engage with a content creator, be that a media publication or an influencer um, or an individual. Yeah. And they work together to go and promote, you know, in text or over social media. And the payment is done, you know, in a similar way to real-time bidding. So it's often done on a cost per sale basis. But it's, again, it's a more negotiated thing. It's a more potentially, obviously, as I said, maybe taking a little bit more time than clicking a few buttons. But they're often, I guess, are, yeah, more meaningful and long-term uh, relationships. Okay, very interesting. And now, I mean... Some of the other challenges and how we, how we address, that's just one part of it, I suppose, is it? Or is that, can I incorporate, that, does that incorporate also the outputs? Yeah, I think it's, you know, if you, if you use this partnership approach, you're able to look more long-term. So it means that, and what it means is, you know, brands should be thinking about working with this community outside of things like Pride Month. And it's about running, you know, long-term bits of exposure, really working with the, the content creators within the space often you know, are willing to go and look at, you know, different types of placements. So it's not just a banner ad alongside content or, a, or, you know, something inserted, you know, dynamically into a feed. It is looking at trying to recommend products within sort of text and articles, but also looking at, you know, maybe co-branding and stuff. So one thing that we see a lot of media houses uh, sort of doing is, is looking at sort of more sort of, sort of portals for their users where they can, you know, say, these are some deals or some brands that we've really vetted and we really believe in because they we we partner with them and here's and you're our engaged audience and so this is what we're we're sort of curating for you. So yeah, so essentially almost like a brand partnership. And I think, yeah, so as I said, a partnership approach is really important, but I think it's also trying to look at exploring, I guess, more in-depth ways of building that. All right. So I mean obviously go to a company like yourselves and you you have these partners already in place. And with the brand, it's my understanding that with that brand, they can go to you and tell you this is a target audience that we're targeting, and this is the product. And then you can, do you then provide that kind of matching algorithm based on that to connect it to? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think so. Yeah, so so I guess yeah, companies like ourselves that we're we're here to go and help with the identification of partners. And so yeah, so so we're actually doing um, some more work actually on in helping surface LGBTQ plus sort of sites and creators within our platform. But essentially, I guess, yeah. So we're, and we're, we're working with a third party to help verify that as well. But yeah, so we, we're here to go and help you engage. But then I guess a platform like us also facilitates those payments and those relationships. 
I think, you know, with, with partnership marketing, as I mentioned, it's a bit more, you know, person focused than, than something automated. And so you need efficiencies in things like payments and commissioning and tracking. And that's again, where a platform like AWIN or, or other partner management platforms really sort of play a role as well. Alex, you wrote this article about, about last year, was it? Have you seen yeah. any improvement or in this at all? Or we still um, yeah. So I think we've, we've seen some improvements. I, I think if I'm honest yes. and being, you know, completely candid, I, I would say not as much as I'd hoped, but, you know, we're, right. we're seeing more brands who are factoring, you know, LGBT audiences as just a core part of their strategy. And so, you know, through influencer discovery with AWIN, and also I've just, I know through more influencers who I follow personally, they're doing more brand deals. And so, yeah, so in, so in terms of, yeah, the improvements that we're seeing is we're seeing brands, you know, engaging more with creators in this way and utilizing partnership model to go and ensure better payments and better sort of models for monetization there. And yeah, and then we're, we're also seeing again, uh, sort of improvement, like more media houses uh, starting to engage with, I guess, this, this channel. I think historically, okay. again, these media houses, because the ad spend was in real-time bidding and programmatic, that's where they saw that, you know, most of their revenue. But again, we're seeing more sort of embracing, I guess, the, the partnerships channel as, 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 a, as a monetization source as well. Yeah, excellent. Uh, have you, I mean, could you share some examples maybe of some case studies or successful companies that do this well? Or alternative companies, well, you don't have to mention names, but maybe that are not doing it so well. So we can see the difference and, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm honest, there's not necessarily a sort of case studies that I'd be able to share, but I think okay. in terms of what I could share is, you know, some of the best practices I've seen okay, uh, running. So from the best campaigns that I've seen, as I said, it's, I think it's a case of when you're defining your campaign parameters. So the, maybe the, the type of sites you're wanting to work with, it's, I've noticed again a lot more inclusive language in the campaign briefs that come through to us, and you know, again, not excluding any groups, and and I think again also more being receptive as well to some of the suggestions when when we're we're looking at you know LGBT content creators. I think the other thing that I've noticed a bit less of, and 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 I think is an improvement, is not treating LGBT as like a niche demographic. I think back to days when I when I used to manage accounts. I used to be a lot more on you know the day to day operations of of, of okay. a partnership program, and you used to get campaign briefs where you're like, "We want to promote this to gay people," and I guess in a way, if that's how you're looking at your marketing, you're not you're not being inclusive. You're you know you're you're yeah. very much sort of putting them into a, a box, and then you're saying actually all the other marketing we do is is in in this other box. So, so I think it's, you know, we're seeing more inclusive briefs and I think again, a more inclusive approach. I think the other thing is, you know, seeing that this approach isn't just for pride month within the LGBT community, there's, you know, a lot of terms like rainbow capitalism, which is thrown around because of this, this unhappiness that corporations only engage with that community for one month a year. But again, yeah, we're seeing brands who, who are doing this, you know, as a BAU strategy, business as usual strategy. So I think that's that's been really important. And and I think it, the, the the final thing that I think is worth of calling out is when brands do this and don't necessarily make it about themselves. So again, naturally, obviously, as a brand, you want to be recognised for the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, especially when there's award season coming up, 
but yes, I think a, a lot of brands, you know, are they're just including it as normal and then almost not making it a comment. I think a few years ago, you know, you could you would have seen a gay couple in an advert, uh, be that TV or an online ad, and it would have been people would be writing articles about it. Whereas now the brands are just doing it or putting a transgender model in the creative. It's it's I think it's really refreshing to see. So as I said, yeah, in terms of best practice, it's, it's it really comes down to that in- inclusivity that we're seeing. I mean, in terms of these, you know, these strategies or this marketing strategy, you know, and you mentioned partnerships, how can we measure the success of these strategies of whether they're going well or not going so well? Yeah. So how can we measure the success? So I think, you know, it depends who you are. So I think if you're a creator, it's about seeing if you're getting more advertisers spend and you're able to invest more in your content. And that's something that, you know, can be measured as well from an advertiser perspective from these new content outlets that you're working with, how much spend are you going there? But then as an advertiser, you know, it's not about spending money. It's about what the return is. And so Mm. I think it's about for a brand really measuring the sort of the core performance metrics. So again, when you're using a a tracking solution like AWIN or, or one of these sort of attribution solutions out there, it's sort of looking at, you know, what's the ROI that these partners are driving? What's the revenue that they're bringing in? What's the and also, what sort of the type of customer are they? Are you actually finding that these customers are quite loyal customers because you are meaningfully engaging with something that's really important to them? So I think, obviously, yeah, looking at the standard online key performance indicators are really important. But I think also from a purpose perspective, you know, if you're a company that really cares about these issues, I guess the other thing is is, is measuring that feeling of, you know, when it comes to Pride Month and you, you want to do a post about pride or post rainbow flag that you you also can feel if you feel more confident about posting that you're not feeling you know unsure of what backlash you're getting i think that's also it's maybe not as quantifiable but i think definitely a real qualitative way of measuring success as well yeah but is, is it kind of is it going through as well is it like is it is it going back to the basics like of click throughs you know things like that also yeah yeah oh yeah yeah the click through yeah as i said it, when i when like i say core? so I think click-throughs are important, but I think it's important also, you know, I guess you, you want to measure the quality um, of the traffic. So I think click-through is really important, but looking at what happens after that click-through is really important. And, you know, in the past, I think when people spoke about investing in in sort of reaching this community, in the UK, the, the term pink pound was always bandied around because suggesting that these consumers, you know, would spend more. And I... I I don't think that that's necess- I think, you know, that's generalizing a, a large part of the population. But I think as a brander, you do need to obviously, I think it is worth looking at the quality. So what is the, how much are these consumers spending with your brand once they've come through these, these sites and how many new customers are being introduced as well? I think it's, it, again, it's really important because I think the assumption here and, and what I'm trying to get across in my article is that at the moment as a brand, you're probably not meeting, you're not reaching a lot of these customers because they don't see your brand in their spaces. So yeah, so I think new customer acquisition and numbers around that are really important as well. And in terms of, could I just ask you about, you know, the different social media outlets and the challenge of having, you know, you got, you got your TikTok, you know, you got your Instagram, uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, I don't know, are some more open than others or are they kind of kind of standard across the board? The board? Um, like you saw recently with Elon Musk, you know, he wanted to buy Twitter because he said he wanted to open up media, uh, yeah. which he felt very much closed. What's your 
opinion on this? Yeah, so I think it it's very interesting. It's a really interesting question. And I think, yeah, you definitely find different opinions about the different social media platforms. I think if you look at the meta-owned platforms, so Facebook and Instagram, you've obviously seen over the past few years, you know, that real drive for monetization. And as a result, the feedback that I get from a lot of content creators in that space and, you know, media publications that, that are promoting on those sites is they do struggle to get that reach. Um, I think, you know, in the same way as I mentioned brand safe lists in terms of real-time bidding, I think there is a case where certain hashtags within Instagram and Facebook, again, can be, you know, de-favored by the algorithm because, again, the association with adult content. And I I think the other thing is, yeah, I think those algorithms sometimes struggle to, when it's something as broad as as an identity, such as your sexuality or, or your gender, again, the algorithms sometimes struggle to go and factor that into the content they're serving when you know when you're having an algorithmic feed. So I think that's from that perspective, there's that platform. When I look at things like TikTok and Twitter, so I think again, they're both quite different from each other. But Twitter, I guess, I think with my personal view is that I think a lot of some of these these changes have uh, or proposed changes prior to, to sort of that Elon Musk was sort of saying when he was in the running for taking uh, Twitter over, they have that real potential of making Twitter quite a harmful space. And so whilst the companies that and media outlets might still promote there as an individual, you might choose to sort of leave that platform. And, and again, maybe that would impact, again, the, the effectiveness for that community. I think for TikTok, I feel sometimes I find TikTok is a bit of a, a black box sometimes um, in terms of how it works. But I think, you know, the one thing that I think a lot of people agree on is that its algorithm is, is, you know, super competent at getting really relevant content to its users. And so I found that a lot of younger LGBT content creators are, are using that as their default because they're able to reach an audience um, through the algorithm without necessarily relying on having, you know, a following because the algorithm is funneling that content to relevant people. As Whereas I think, you know, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram they serve content based on how many people are following you. So it's a really good upstart for, for those who are starting out in the community. Yeah. So, I mean, is there like a preferred social media outlet for the LGBT community or it's just depending on age and demographics? Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think it depends. I think again, it's, it's a huge part of the population. So yeah. I think it's, it's difficult to generalize. I found a lot of people on Instagram and TikTok, but again, I don't know if it's necessarily reflective of the, the wider experience of, of everyone okay. in the community. Okay, cool. And tell me, um, so how do you see this evolving for the future? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, hopefully, you know, awareness of this as an issue through my article, but podcasts like yours, and mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people are talking about it, about, you know, aligning your company's sort of more purpose-driven, you know, ideals with your actual company strategy. I think. How I'd like to see it evolve is just seeing more brands embrace the community through the actions they're doing in the actual, you know, day-to-day business. So I think the evolution is, you know, seeing brands engage with more creators within this space. I think there's there's also the case of, you know, platforms like AWIN doing more to to help brands with these these sort of types of campaigns. So as I mentioned, 
we're working at the moment to help highlight and verify creators within the LGBT demographic, as well as, you know, against a number of other variables. And so I, I see, that, again, tech platforms and, and tech solutions, again, helping brands sort of reach this audience. But I think if you, if you look sort of further into the future, I think I see it evolving as it just being a bit more normal. I think it, it's sort of a case where, again, you know, in the future, it will just become second nature to, if you're a marketer, you're not going to be thinking about, obviously you'll still be thinking about your audience, but you won't be thinking about, you know, how do I work to improve my inclusivity? So I think it's, you know, inclusion as default. Within the automated space, I think the the uh, the one thing I'd like to see is again improvements in in how they how they sort of identify you know brand safety concerns. So maybe moving from a less sort of list based approach and and seeing if you, again you're using you know machines that sort of understand natural language to really understand the content mm-hmm. and understand that it's. Maybe it it contains a certain word, but it's you know entirely safe uh, for a brand to appear against, or it contains a word and you know it's entirely unsafe and it won't show the content there. So, so I think it's you know I think it's attitude evolution, but also technical evolution. Interesting, and uh, I guess education also must must play a big part. Yeah, I think I think education is really important as well, and you know I think you know those of us in the industry who who are passionate about a topic, it's at the moment, maybe there's that role where, you know, we're elevating this as, as an issue and, and creating awareness. But yeah, I think, I think, yeah, the more that we're talking about it, the more that we can all sort of work to collaboratively to, to find better sort of solutions uh, to the challenges faced here. Yeah, Alex, well, listen, thank you so much for coming on today and highlighting it. Um, very interesting. And if people would like to learn more or learn more about you also, or is there any, maybe, interesting publications that people could go to that could help them? What would you recommend? So, I mean, again, I think there's not necessarily a publication that I'd recommend. I, I guess it would be natural for me to, to plug, you know, the AWIN website, so awin.com, okay. where, where I, I've posted the article and I'm hoping to, you know, uh, look into this further and hopefully, you know, be able to go and share more of these case studies or share some case studies on on the work that's been done there and talk about, you know, the tools that are available here. I also, again, if, it, if it's a topic that you're interested in speaking about, yeah. I'm, I'm always happy to, uh, you know, take sort of direct sort of contact. So, yeah, either via, you know, social media or by emailing me um, at my email address, which is quite easily uh, easy to remember. It's apy at awin.com. Fantastic, Alex. Thank you. And what I will do also is I will post the link to your article in the notes of the podcast that's for my community so they can read it and reach out to you listen thank you so much for your time today really appreciate it and hopefully we can speak again soon yeah it's been a pleasure